The best way to win a fight is to avoid the fight. Having good situational awareness is one aspect of it. Recognizing that there are obstacles to that and overcoming them is one of the keys to being able to do that properly. Bullet struck the SWAT team's armored car, another home, and a civilian's car. The, the root of an active shooter situation is someone that you know in your business that is having domestic problems. But just know that the only way to guarantee that you're not involved in a workplace, coffee shop, house of worship, or large event, active aggressor situation is to never go outside. Hey guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David. And producer Ben is not here today. Boo. So it's our <laughs> Yeah, big boo. I miss Ben when he's not here. <laughs> but it's our job here, even without Ben, to take you guys step by step through the tactics, gear, skills, and mindset you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. So, Craig, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, sir. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, first off, um, as always, our mission is to help everybody listening to progressively increase your survival IQ so you can leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And today, coming up, we're going to be discussing and talking about active aggressor, active shooter. Um, Here's some of the things we're going to be discussing. First off, we're going to talk about some of the fundamental data on active shooters We're going to discuss the value and problems in the common run-hide-fight training method for active aggressors. Uh, If you're not familiar with that, that's a real common method out there. It's being taught in a lot of places. Uh, We're going to discuss the statistically most likely person to commit an active shooter aggression in any organization. And we're going to help you increase your situational awareness for all situations in which an active shooter situation could occur. That's a lot of situation. It's a lot of situations, but this is a this is a big situational topic and very important today, isn't it? It is, but we're also going to have some action steps like we always try to do that uh, you can do immediately at the end of the show today to get yourself more prepared for active aggressors. Yeah, man, and don't forget, guys, to go over to, this is a new one, thesurvivalshow.com to grab the show notes and... I'm looking at my show notes now, and they are just fantastic. They've become a reference for me for past shows. And plus, over there, you can check out our $49 bug out bag checklist from my new segment, The Gear Cave. And it's free over there right now. And especially for this particular podcast that we're doing today, we have two self-defense training videos that we did. So you guys need to go get those. And we're going to probably weave that into this podcast and tell you guys why yeah let me say something about that real quick too because uh just for those that haven't seen what the self-defense videos are about the first one is is primarily about situational awareness uh it's it should be everybody's methodology to do avoidance and awareness strategies first that should be your best self-defense the best way to win a fight is to avoid the fight and if you have to get aggressive then we've got to we've got to get in the middle of it we got to do a lot of things and we do that in video too but number one uh, even for people that have never had any sort of self-defense training that avoidance and awareness strategy in in video one's fantastic so let's get into get into that for those that have never had that sort of training it's real important but let's go i'm ready you ready to rock this thing okay man let's get started So uh, active aggressor scenarios make the news 
mainly because they make people feel helpless as to what they can do if they are thrust into that situation. And although the statistical likelihood of you, actually, those of you that are listening, being involved in an active aggressor incident is actually very low. The anxiousness of not knowing what to do is real, very real, very, very real. Uh, there's a lot of anxiousness, anxiety about how do I handle myself. In today's show, what we want to do is help you to begin to take control of your ability to avoid these whenever possible. Yeah, Craig, and, and this is not going to be the only show that we do on this topic. There's going to be others. What we're really going to focus in on today is prevention methods before an event occurs so we all can avoid them. But just know that the only way to guarantee that you're not involved in a workplace, coffee shop, house of worship, or large event active aggressor situation is to never go outside your home. But that's not really, that's not realistic. So we're going to give you guys some tools here to start taking control of your own safety and survival now. So Craig, can you launch us into this and share some important basics right from the start? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that uh, I'd like to make sure that we, we understand is that First off, the FBI has a tremendous amount of statistical data on all crime, uh, including things that relate to just self-defense. But there's a tremendous amount of data there available to anyone at FBI.gov. And um, to take that a step further, I am an InfraGuard partner. My organization, Nature Reliance School, is a partner with the FBI, which is basically a partnership between the FBI and, and private entities. And to, to be able to do that, um, I have to go, I had to go through an, an extensive background check, a very, a very extensive background check. It kind of hurt like they got up in everything, <laughs> but, um, but, but because of that, I get, uh, some really information that is not classified or anything in nature. I'm not saying that, but it's not information that readily just goes out to the general public on a daily basis. And I also get the opportunity to be in meetings with FBI agents, uh, with bureau agents, that talk about things such as active shooter and, and how to pass on information to the general public without scaring people. And so uh, a lot of the what we'll share today is based upon that type of training that I've done. Um, the first of which is to understand where basically that sh active shooter events happen statistically. Uh, there's a There was a tremendous study done from 2000 to 2017 that showed that 42% of the time, active shooter situations happen in average ordinary businesses. 20% of the time, they happen in schools. 14% of the time, they happen in open space. And that's similar to like a, an open space concert venue or, or something of that nature. And 10% of the time, they happen in government facilities. So first and foremost, people need to know their most likelihood of running into an active aggressor active shooter situation. And, and this, this language that I use active aggressor, because you never know, some of might use a car, uh, that, you know, that a few years ago, there was a person that ran a car down the street in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, right. that's an active aggressor. That's not an active shooter. And so somebody could use a vehicle, somebody use a knife, somebody could use any number of other tools. It doesn't have to be a gun and shooting someone. So, uh, that's why I refer to things as an active aggressor situation. The other thing to to keep in mind that the majority of active shooter events in businesses were due to a domestic dispute. So earlier when I told you we'd be discussing the most likely person, the most likely person in any business to be 
the the root of an active shooter situation is someone that you know in your business that is having domestic problems. And so this is something that if you're recognizing this is happening uh, or this is happening to you, it, it's probably something that your human resources department needs to know about. And I'm not saying you go around tattling on your on your workmates and those that you uh, do business with. But at the very least, I would be aware of that situation. And let's say, for example, you recognize there's some sort of domestic dispute and then that person's uh, significant other comes into the business, then I would not ignore that. I would be paying attention to that just because that statistically, that's the most likely person to, to do this. Um, and the best way to thwart any active aggressor is to recognize an event is going to happen before it happens. We're going to be discussing this in depth today. Uh, basically what I call pre-event indicators. Um, we can't foretell the future, but if we understand the data, we understand the statistics and we can understand how to read people and, and, and increase our situational awareness, then we can thwart some of these things from happening before they ever actually occur. Those are really good points, Craig. And I mean, emotional health is really, it's kind of like a snowball or a cascade, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, it can start with one small thing and, and then all of a sudden smaller things and the, or even, you know, big things like just continuing stresses at home and or financial stresses, relational stresses can get to a point where even, even how many times have we heard this, you know, he's, he's, he's a good guy. I could have never imagined he'd do something like this. Right. I mean, sometimes there's some social media signs and, and sometimes there's just not. Yeah. I mean, I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's, uh, that's why I like to look at the statistics. So, and, and let's, let's put an action plan or an action step out there right now. Think about it this way. You're at work, you know, somebody that's got, uh, or is in the midst of some sort of domestic dispute. They've even allowed a little bit of the information to, uh, they've shared some of that information with you and you know that that person has threatened them. Okay. So right then, right there, if you see that, that person's significant other roll into the parking lot, then I'm going to have eyes on them. I may be in a position where I'd lock the door or some variation of it. Uh, if you're a manager of a facility, then this is a real touchy situation because you got to be considerate of the person's personal life. But if, if the person that is having the trouble is willing to share with others, then the person that needs to know is whoever's at the front door. You know, if there's some sort of front door staff that is a greeter or, you know, administrative assistance that is at that front door, they need to know what that person looks like. And again, that man, that really blurs the line between privacy and safety for the organization. So that's that's something any business manager is going to have to make that call um, at, at their particular location and and definitely keep the privacy of someone that's happy. Because, I mean, we want people to to deal with their private issues and and come out on the other side a better person. But we also recognize that statistically that's that's where the problems arise and we need to be aware of them. Mm -hmm. Craig, did you hear about this story that happened over the holidays where this this guy in uh, Chester County, I believe? No, I missed this. Okay, you missed this? It's about 40 miles west of Philadelphia. So there was a, there was a guy and, and uh, some sort of tension. Again, this was relational tension in his marriage, it says his estranged wife called the police for a wellness check at his home. And at 10.30 p.m., the Chester County Regional Emergency Response Team arrived at this home and 
shortly before 1 a.m. Wednesday, members of the emergency response team heard several gunshots fired from a second floor window. There was, a, I guess, a multi-hour standoff firing bullets. Was he shooting at the general public or was he shooting at this one person he's having trouble with? Yes. No. So he wasn't shooting at his, his, at his estranged wife. Apparently, the SWAT teams and the response team showed up. But it says here that bullets struck the SWAT team's armored car, another home, and the civilian's car. And then around 7 a.m., now this is the crazy thing, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you say about this. This kind of started at like, looks like at, at 10.30 p.m. I, I don't know what all the hesitate. It, there's just not that many details here. But around 7 a.m. Wednesday, this guy asked to hear a negotiator sing a Christmas carol. He requested White Christmas, the Nat King Cole version. So the negotiator who was in the SWAT team for quite some time and had a lot of experience, he sang it, and the guy came out. So what do you think of that? Wow, that's uh, <laughs> you know, that's so far out of my realm of expertise, but I, I can see a, a good negotiator, uh, and it sounds like this person was a great negotiator handling that properly. Me as an outsider, not having good capabilities in that area, it would seem to me that that seems very unstable because that just seems so weird to me. It might make perfect sense as to why somebody would do that to a negotiator. Man, kudos to the negotiator for recognizing, do I do this or do I not do this? And getting it done and and thwarting that and keeping it from getting any more aggressive than it already was. Yeah, the guy came out and surrendered himself after that. So they were calling this the, the Christmas miracle. <laughs> I need to I need to say this more often, and, and those that are that are close to me or follow what I do elsewhere, they know I feel this way. But I haven't said this enough here. But man, I'm just telling you, law enforcement, they got a really hard job. And and I know there's there's two guys, uh, Mike, uh, Mike. I know you're listening, and Daniel. I know you're listening. Both of those guys have been active and or uh, retired law enforcement good friends of mine. I know they're listening right now. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate everybody out there that's law enforcement. Uh, I appreciate the families of law enforcement for supporting them. Cause that's just, I mean, I, I, I have a very, very good friend that a uh, very close friend that's taught me a lot of stuff uh, as far as self-defense training and, and with firearm that was in a situation exactly like, like what you described. Uh, his team got pinned down behind their vehicles, guys shooting out of a second story window. And it was just, just, it just blows my mind what, what these guys have to deal with on an everyday basis. So, but yeah, sorry, I got off on a tangent. I like, I like my, I like my thin blue line out there. I, I like to give kudos to them when I, whenever I can. So it's, it, it's very important to me. So thank you guys. Keep us safe every day. So Craig, let's get back into this. Uh, you had mentioned run, hide, fight. And can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about what this means and share some of your thoughts on this sort of guideline? Is that what you would call it? Yeah, a guideline is a good way of saying it. it it's, uh, And I don't know if Department of Homeland Security was the one that actually originated this concept or not, but I know that they are the one that has really put a nice program together and gotten information out there. Uh, anybody can go to Department of Homeland Security's website and do a search for run, hide, fight, or just do a Google search, run, hide, fight, Homeland Security or something of that nature. And particularly for business owners, they have a, a, a wide range of resources from documentation to PowerPoint presentations that are all free that you as a business owner or you as a, a, 
a private citizen can download and look at and see the data, see how to run, how to set up active shooter training in your facility or at your home. But basically, as it alludes to, run, hide, fight is the answer to any active active aggressor, active shooter situation. First thing being run, get away from the active shooter as best you can. If, if an active shooter is in the act of doing something, the run, get away. I would also include uh, avoiding it before it ever happens. Uh, hide is if you can't run, you can't leave, then hide. Uh, that means get good cover. Cover is something where if bullets are coming your directions. Uh, co- cover is something that's going to stop the bullets. If you can't get cover, get concealment where at least you're not easily seen. So can you just share share some places where people could get cover typically in a situation like this? I, I did some study on this, and, and I was in on a class where we talked about different cover. I think it was taught by Homeland Security. This was uh, several years ago. But the best cover is earth. So if you can put anything that has an earthen boundary between you and an active shooter, then do it. So, you know, think of it being in an open space area, you know, get a hill between you and them. Uh, if, if there is a wall somewhere and and earth is on the other side of that wall, then get behind that sort of uh, cover. Uh, concrete block has the ability to stop bullets, but at the same time, it is not going to be as effective as earthen cover is. And then drywall uh, gets a lot worse. Bullets, it's fairly easy for some. It, it, and there's such a wide range on shooters and, and what kind of ammunition you're going to utilize. But a lot of ammunition is going to go right through drywall. Those are the types of things that I mean by cover. You'll see in the movies and TV and stuff of that sort of nature where people will throw a table over and get down behind a table and, and somebody shoots some semi or automatic weapon on this movie and brrr, and they tear it all up and they're just fine. That's probably not going to happen in real life. Those bullets are going to destroy that. That's That's more concealment than it is cover, particularly if there's that much ammunition that many bullets flying. So that's what I mean by cover versus concealment. You want to get down behind something that's going to stop bullets uh, rather than just hide you. Yeah. Let me throw something in here with regards to cover, especially if it's limited. One thing that you can do if, if there is not much cover would be to reduce your profile. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that's come up, because again, I get the opportunity to train with a lot of law enforcement, federal, state, and local law enforcement. One of the things that they have said, and, and people that I've trained in the military, or trained with in the military, or always say, you know, you can get real small in a hurry when people are shooting at you. If you're a big person, a big man, you can get down behind that curb on the street. You'll get down behind it. You'll get down behind a little tiny power pole. <laughs> if that's all you have, you'll figure out a way to to limit your profile for sure. And that goes along with concealment to a degree too. You, you just don't make it easy for that shooter to be able to see you. So again, run, get away when you can, hide when you can't. And then last in this is fight. And there's several ways to fight. But if you're armed, we'll discuss this a little bit later. We'll discuss a little bit of this today, this fight mindset. But we're also going to get some other people on to talk about it, some other people that teach us stuff on a daily basis to discuss the fight aspect of it. If you are unarmed, then we've discussed self-defense several times and I discussed it in the videos that are on over on Patreon. The things that you need to, to focus on is surprise, speed, and balance of action. It's not a time, if you've never been in a fight or you've never done any sort of fight training, it doesn't work the way it does in TV in Hollywood. And I know this is the theme that I bring up all the time, but my goodness, TV's done such a bad job of teaching us things that are just not true. You don't hit somebody one time and they fall down and pass out. That's, that's <laughs> rare. So in a fight, 
if you're going to get in and YouTube is good for teaching this. I, I, maybe I'm a little twisted or something, but I watch fights on YouTube all the time. I want to see how people fight. I want to watch how they react when they get hit in the face and when they break an arm. I, I want to see how they react and, and so that I can as as best I can get mentally prepared for that. And the the way that good self-defense tactical instructors speak of this is surprise, speed, and violence of action. So you're going to make contact with that active shooter. And when you do, if you're in close body contact, because again, you've tried to run and you, you can't go anywhere, you've hide, you've, you've hid, and now they found you, and now you're going to make contact, you're not going to hit them one time and they're going to go down. You're going to surprise them. You're going to act like an animal. We talked about the five tools. Uh, we've talked about this in, in length in another podcast, hands, elbows, knees, feet, and your head, and how to utilize them. And you need to do that with surprise, speed, like an animal, and violence of action. I mean, you need to flip the switch and then turn up the volume on a 1 to 10 scale. You need to turn that volume up to an 18 and go crazy because they're going to be hyped up. And you need to get more hyped up than they are and then treat them, in my opinion, like they deserve to be treated. If they're going to be aggressive with a firearm or a car or whatever, then you need to unleash some power on them. And I hate to get, I hate to keep getting, but I got to get back to it. You cover this quite well in the two videos we have over on Patreon. And Yeah, you know, David, I mean, I, I know people are listening thinking we're trying to push them over there, and you're right, we are. We are. <laughs> that was not our intention, but there's just some things, and we're there's a method for our madness, guys and gals that are listening. Those videos are there because they're the root of so many things that people have asked us to do. I've taught literally thousands and thousands of people how to handle themselves in an active shooter situation, self-defense situation. And and I just put that information in, in a couple of videos. It's real simplistic and anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. Obviously, people that train regularly will be better at it, but it, the, the only way to get better at it is to start now. So check those out. That's good, Craig. So there's this whole left of bang idea. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, left of bang. Um, and again, I'm not certain that this is where it originated, but the United States Marine Corps put together a program called the Combat Hunter Program. To summarize it in, in something simple, what they want you to do is to be left of bang. Let's say the bang is the event where somebody, in their case, Marines are being shot at. And what they wanted their Marines to be able to do is to be more aware before the bang happens so that they can start taking the necessary steps to avoid being shot or at least at the very least because they're in battle and they're going to, and Marines are going to get shot at is to have them have the superior position, superior firepower, or superior whatever it might take on the battlefield. There was a couple guys, they wrote a book called Left Bang because they were Marines and, and they uh, took this concept and put it out there for the rest of us to, to be able to digest. And fantastic book, pick it up, Left Bang. It's, it's an unbelievably really good book. And what it does is it's a whole text on how to prepare yourself, increase your situational awareness, recognize what's going on before an event happens so that you're basically not in a situation where you have to make decisions under stress. Uh, if if you're right of bang, if the bang has happened, if the active shooter started and now you have to start doing things, then you're very reactionary. Your critical thinking skills are going to be uh, less than they would be prior to the bang because there's so much stress on you. There, there's all these physiological things that happen to you in self-defense, you know, auditory exclusion, uh, tunnel vision, blood pressure increase, a rise in, in the amount of adrenaline dumped into the body. And when you 
are in that state, you can't make good decisions. And so what we want to do is to help people be left of bang, help them have good situational awareness, uh, understand what we've talked about all the times in survival training on the podcast here is the critical role of threes and, and, and more than anything, teach people how to learn to overcome the obstacles to good situational awareness. Having good situational awareness is one aspect of it. Recognizing that there are obstacles to that and overcoming them is one of the keys to being able to do that properly. Yeah, so I think I think we're at a point now where we can I think we can segue into maybe the color of awareness. I know you've mentioned before Jeff Cooper's code color code of awareness and also some situational awareness things that would cause us to go from that, hey, somebody just walked in, they don't look like regulars, their hands in their pocket, we're, we're watching this. You know, how do we get from there to a, a place of situational awareness where we're, we're now at a orange or a red? So maybe talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, Jeff Cooper was a fantastic tactical strategist. And the reason I say fantastic is because I love teachers that take very hard concepts to understand and put them in simplistic terms for people to to be able to understand them, make them relatable, and be able to repeat them. Um, so that's that's something that I, I think is important. And what Cooper did is he put together what he calls his color code of awareness. It's been expanded on by different organizations with other colors, but I'm going to look at the fundamental setup that was originally put out there. He basically said that all of us should walk around in a certain level of awareness. White is where most people that surround us are currently at. That means they're oblivious. They're not paying attention to anything. And it's and when this was put together, cell phones weren't a thing. Now that cell phones are out there, it's even worse. Again, the vast majority of people have no idea what's going on around them as they're walking around. Code yellow is where you are aware and what is more often referred to as basically relaxed alert. This is where your typical person that's interested in situational awareness and taking care of their own self-defense finds themselves in basically a relaxed alert all the time, home, at the restaurant, at the kids' soccer game, always in a relaxed alert position and, and, and ready to see information and take inf- information that, that their eyes are seeing and utilizing it. Orange. Code orange is where they are alert and there is a possible threat where that person that's unfamiliar, looking back over their shoulder, uh, seems nervous, got their hands deep in their pockets or inside their coat as if something's not right. That's that's an alert. That is a possible threat. So that's when you step up your alertness, you're paying attention. And then code red is the engaged verified threat. Somebody, that same person again, pulls out a weapon. Now we're in code red. Now we start to take action. And if we're code white, think about it. If we're code white, nose down in a phone, not paying attention to what's going on, and then the person pulls the gun out, then we are 100% reactionary. So if we're in code orange, code alert, you know, a, a possible threat is there, then we might start positioning ourselves. We might back away from the table a little bit. We might get our feet under us a little bit better. Most people that are tactically inclined to always have their feet where they're supposed to be. But uh, if we're new to that kind of mindset, then we might start getting in position. So again, it's white, yellow, orange, and red going from uh, less aware to a verified threat. And we're very aware of what's going on. Yeah, Craig, and you and I have together been in a couple of situations where we get to that that code yellow or code orange. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to share with everybody is if you're new to this 
kind of discussion and, and consideration of all this. When you first start doing it, you're going to feel paranoid. Once you do it regularly, it just becomes natural. Uh, for example, for my family, my wife now knows that I'm not being freaky when I sit in certain places in traffic. Uh, we, you know, everybody talks about sitting in the restaurant, looking at the door, you know, everybody knows that it seems, but you know, I drive in this mindset as well. I'm not going to put my car right up on top of somebody such that if somebody gets out of the car, I can't get out of there. When I pull up to an intersection, I am always looking at how to get out of there in my vehicle. That's part of the run part. If somebody were to start, you know, going crazy. And I was thinking about this last year when we were in Vegas at SHOT Show, me and you and the crew. You know, the whole time I was there, I was looking for exits, looking for when I'm in this place right here, where's the closest constantly. And again, when you start doing this, you feel paranoid. But uh, when you do it regularly, it starts to become basically second nature and you feel very comfortable. Yeah, I just want to get back to to the basics of being aware and relaxed at that relaxed, alert, yellow phase. And And you mentioned that facing the door, everybody knows that. But I'm just going to step back, Craig, because you're so familiar with this. I'm not sure that everybody knows that. And, and I also want to just mention that this takes work and some intentionality because I'm just going to say it. you're more relaxed, paranoid than I am. Mm-hmm. And I, I can actually go to a code white when I'm around you because I know that, you, <laughs> I know that you're covering a lot more. And that, that's actually not, not fair. And that's beside the point. But <laughs> You know, that's not healthy either. I mean, even my wife, even my wife when we're out, I mean, she knows that I'm supposed to be the one that takes care of business. But she's also co-jello. I mean, because I can't, I don't have eyes in the back of my head. But when she and I are facing one another, you know, I do <laughs> have eyes in the back of my head because she's looking over my shoulder. So it's it's definitely a team effort with whoever you're with. And it's and it's good to get these things out there together. And you know you're in good shape when you fight with one of, one of the other guys for the guy who faces the door. So, um, But it does take it does take intentionality because here's what I find with myself. I, I go out with my wife to a nice restaurant in town here and I slip in and out of this yellow state. So it's, it takes some intentionality to, and some practice really to, to be in that aware state. And, and I I think, I think that's an action step actually for people. If, if you're have not been aware that facing the door, just kind of observing people as they come and go, noticing anything that's out of the ordinary without, you know, ruining your time and being fixated and, and obsessed with it. That's a good place to start, I think. Don't you, Craig? This brings up a good topic. Why the door? Well, because humans as a species go back to the norm where they feel comfortable and where they've been safe. And so um, basically an active aggressor is going to be coming in uh, the same door. And if something were to happen immediately, most people will go back to that door which is not cool. That's not what you should do. Uh, That's why when I say I'm looking for exit strategies, you know, I like to be on the outside next to a window because if something were to happen, that window becomes my new door. I'm going out it. I'm going to take that window out and, and push my family out that window instead of going towards that door or sitting there in sheer terror and not doing anything and just becoming a victim. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to get to action. So uh, we have a What I'm saying is, let's say an active shooter walks in the front door of that same restaurant and starts shooting. Most people are, are going to look at the shooter and look towards the door at the same time for different reasons. 
because the door was their safe passage in and it's in them. It's in their mindset and they'll, they'll consider that and, and go back to that in their minds. And that's not a good position to be in, in an active shooter situation. That's really good. So let's get, let's just hone this in, Craig. Sure. And I, as I mentioned, I myself at times have difficulties being intentional and maintaining a situational awareness. What are maybe a couple of things, two, three, four things that people and myself can do to overcome this? Okay. It's basically what I refer to as, is, is the obstacles to maintaining your situational awareness. So there's three things that I want to discuss today. The first is not monitoring the baseline. Baseline is how uh, a situation, an area appears in its normal state. And so if, and we keep going back to this restaurant, but you can apply this concept of what we're discussing to any place, you know, how a restaurant uh, appears and the shuffling of people, the people that work there and any number of things. And you should know what that looks like. And if all of a sudden it looks drastically different, it could be that somebody's walked in and pulled a gun and hasn't started shooting yet. And what that, you know, for example, I think it's obvious, but what that's going to look like is there's going to be an immediate movement back and away by most people to a gun. And so if you recognize that, then you can start to take necessary action. If you're not monitoring the baseline and paying attention to what's going on, then you don't see that. You know, I had a bouncer, uh, uh, share discount. We, we use this not monitoring baseline all the time when we're teaching man tracking law enforcement. But uh, I had a bouncer talk about this as far as a concert is concerned. You know, he he said that the way he watches the group because there's a rhythm at a at a musical concert and people are in a boom boom boom. They're in a rhythm, and he watches them when any section of the large group of people. It could be twenty thousand people. He works security at a huge arena here in Kentucky. Um, he said when he sees a small section of it that is not in rhythm, that's where the fight is getting ready to occur. Because they somebody has bumped into each other and they've started the the smack talk and somebody's pushed one another and they're doing all that pre-event fight where they're, you know, they're building up to to fighting. And so when he sees that, when he sees that boom, 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 everything is going a certain way and one section's not, that's where he sends his people. Because that's because he is monitoring the baseline and where the baseline, which is what where the baseline changes, which is what we call disturbance. Then that's where something's getting ready to happen. Uh, The second thing is what we refer to as normalcy bias. Humans don't like change. We don't like things to be out of the ordinary. We like things to stay in order uh, as a species. And so when when things step out of um, out of the norm then uh, we tend to put it through normalcy bias and make it normal. Um, a case in point, we're going to discuss this uh, in our story segment on a, on a different podcast, but when people start hearing an active shooter doing what they're doing, a lot of people say, oh, it sounds like fireworks. You know, that's normalizing the situation instead of, could that be uh, gunfire? Instead of doing that, they go, oh, it's, it's fireworks, because that's what they understand. They understand fireworks, and so they normalize it and, and, and make it okay. And, and we do that as a species because we don't, we don't want to be in an active shooter situation, so we, we make it normal. Uh, last but not least, uh, as far as uh, obstacles to good situational awareness is what I refer to as focus lock. 
Uh, focus lock is the best way to demonstrate and discuss focus lock is to watch people with cell phones. They're locked in on one particular thing and they're not paying attention to anything around them. Um, but we can do that in any number of, of places. Uh, to go back to the restaurant, we can we can pay attention to the people that are right in front of us. And I'm not saying don't pay attention to your family when you're out to eat, but you're just looking at them and you're in puppy love and holding hands and all that kind of stuff, but you're not actually looking around at what's going on around you. Here, I've got one, Craig. So you go to a, a local restaurant and they have five TVs on the wall oh, and you're yeah. focused on the hockey you game. You know, that is a good one, David. That That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, you're watching that game. You're not paying attention to anything that's going on around you. My, my daughter bought she and I tickets to a music concert a few months ago and it's easy to go to a concert and watch the band and not pay attention to what's going on around you uh, and so on a regular basis I would stop and just look around to see if anything looked out of the ordinary and so that that's me forcing myself out of focus lock. Yep, you're being intentional. Yeah, very intentional. I have to be. I mean, that's just, that's relaxed alert. Didn't mean I didn't have a good time with my daughter. I did. But I know that in that venue, that's a dangerous place to be. And so, um, you know, I force myself to get out of that or force myself into good situational awareness and, and force myself past those obstacles. This is all really good, Craig. Before we get on to a few more, but maybe... Maybe the the kind of last barrage of, you know, four or five or six action steps for people to take out of here. Do you have anything else you want to add about this whole active shooter thing? And we're going to be back, guys, we're going to be back to this topic in a, from a couple of different angles in the future. But what else do you have to add here, Craig? Well, first off, yeah, I, I want to say we have to come back to this topic because what we what we focused on today, guys and gals, is this. We've, we focused on pre-event situation. We've talked about more than anything, if we consider it just from the run, hide, fight, we've we've basically considered the run part of it. We haven't looked at the other two at all, really. Um, but there are a couple of things that just because they're often overlooked that I want to make sure that we cover as far as active shooter situations are concerned. And, and that's the role that, that emergency medical services are going to play. The first one being law enforcement. So if you're in a situation and you're a concealed carry permit holder, and you decide that you want to try to use your firearm to defend yourself, number one, I want to recommend that you've got to have extensive training to be able to utilize that effectively without bringing harm to others. Okay, so don't think just because you've got a concealed carry permit that now you're some super genius with a firearm because you're not. You need to get adequate training with a qualified instructor. Okay, and that includes a lot more than just uh, static range time shooting at a paper target. A lot more than that. Imagine being the law enforcement officer that is responding to an active shooter event at a mall, for example. That law enforcement officer rolls in, and there you are in the mall with your gun extended, getting ready to take the active shooter out. Because you're going to be under heaping amounts of stretch, you may or may not be hearing him or her yelling at you and giving you orders. And if you turn around and that firearm that is in your hand is pointed toward that law enforcement officer, you should plan on being shot or at least being shot at. So if you're in a situation where you're going to have a firearm and a law enforcement officer tells you to do something, you need to do it and you need to do it immediately. You don't need to hesitate. You don't need to argue. You don't need to discuss. It is your role to put the firearm down and get and do whatever they tell you to do. Uh, more often than not, it may be they'll put you on the ground, uh, but just follow their directions and do it. Listen to them. Uh, 
Uh, that includes up to and sometimes just simply dropping your weapon immediately. And somebody's listening going, there's no way I can drop my weapon. Well, you need if if dropping your weapon concerns you because it might go off, you need to get a better weapon. That's all there is to it. Uh, weapons should not do that. Weapons should not go off when you drop them. And so you need to get a better firearm so that you can drop it and feel comfortable doing that and it not go off. Uh, as far as EMS is concerned, you need to be able to take care of your own medical needs because when EMS, the, the standard now, uh, and, and this changes from time to time, but the standard is that EMS will stage outside until law enforcement says that a situation is clear. Now, there has been some training done, and this has been done in the last year, where EMS are embedding themselves with law enforcement and going into a situation and providing medical care as soon as they possibly can. Okay, But that is not standard right now. The standard situation is EMS stages outside, waits till all clear from law enforcement, and then they go in and render medical, medical care. That could be an hour, depending upon the size of the venue. Okay. So what I mean by that is you need to get really sound medical care, which includes, uh, the more, the more common care, uh, or the more common training out there is called stop the bleed, where you learn how to use hemostatic agents. You learn how to use tourniquets, uh, and, and things that go along with trauma medicine. And it's, and again, we've talked about this briefly, but it's not that hard to do. The ha- training is not hard. Uh, EMS, uh, being an uh, EMS provider is hard work and it's more extensive than what I'm sharing. I'm not saying it's not, but you as an individual citizen can utilize a tourniquet with a small amount of training with great effectiveness. And it's not going to cause you to lose a limb. If you're in a position where you need to use a tourniquet, then you're going to die if you don't. So it would be best for you to learn how to use it effectively. And that way you can take care of your own, your own personal needs there. Craig, let me ask you this because I think you do this more than I do. What what do you every day carry as far as first aid item? Okay, so every day going out the door on me, I have uh, hemostatic gauze on me. Hemostatic gauze is just a gauze. Quick Clot is the most common brand that you'll see out there, but but uh, it's just a gauze that's impregnated with an agent that forces your blood vessels to stop and and basically stop bleeding. Coagulates? Yeah, coagulates. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. I couldn't come up with coagulate. So um, basically, if you get shot by a bullet, and you can stuff this in there, and it's going to help to stop the bleeding from occurring. Uh, I also carry a soft tea wide. That's special operation forces tourniquet wide. And that is a tourniquet that you use on an arm or a leg if you've been shot and you're, you're losing a lot of blood and you have to put pressure on the primary arteries, whether it's the femoral artery, it's in the legs, or the brachial artery or in the arms to stop bleeding because if you don't you're going to die there's a movement on for all high school students to get stop the bleed training across the country if everybody had stop the bleed training a lot of people have first aid training if you don't have first aid training get it fix yourself that's crazy (laughs) let me be clear that's crazy if you don't have basic first aid training and at this point i think it's crazy if you don't have stop the bleed training or some comparative similar program, then uh, you know how to utilize these things and take care of yourself in a trauma situation like a car wreck and and people you care about. You might be able to save their life just with some simple training. But those are the two things that I carry on me that are that are first day related. We'll put those in the notes too. And Craig, so gosh, the time got away from us, man. So let's hone in here and do a few action steps that people can do now, prepare and posture themselves to avoid or prevent a situation 
You want me to go first with a couple? Yeah, please do. Go ahead. So we've already talked about being intentional about this. And I, I think it's really good practice for people, for people to sit and position themselves toward the, the main entry. Look around, like Craig said, look for the exits. And just do this exercise now and again. Just take a couple of minutes and observe whatever you can about maybe 10 people, the next 10 people that walk through that door. When you are intentional, you will notice a lot more than, you know, if you're in that white zone and you're really not aware. I think that's a good exercise, knowing where the exits are. Here, here's a game. Here's a game that I play with my family as my kids were growing up. I knew is, there was a game to this. Make it fun, uh, Craig. <laughs> yeah, always. You know, you, you, you have to. If, if it's just blah, you, you know, yes, I do make things fun as best I can. <laughs> One of the things that we did with our kids in restaurants, for example, or even driving or just being in an area where there are lots of people is put yourself in a position where you can see the door, right? And then Sometimes it might be if you can, if you've been positioned where you can take care of the safety of your family, for example, but your kids can also see the door somewhere around five minutes in go, how many men have walked in the door since we sat down or the guy that walked in that had the big coat on, where is he at in the restaurant or how many people have come in that had glasses on and you, you can do that. How many people had a flannel shirt on? How many people were, uh, had hats on when they came in? Just simple things that you don't have to go. How many people came in the door that looked like an active shooter? You don't have to do that. It, it can be simple stuff like a hat. And what that does is it forces the people to, in, in your party, in your family to pay attention to their surroundings. And so it, it's a fun game. If you make it fun at some point in time, it's not that much more fun anymore. But by the time you get there, <laughs> then people have situational awareness <laughs> and, and both my kids do this now. Uh, when, when it got to be, Oh dad, we had to do that again. They got it. <laughs> and, and that's, that was the goal. So, uh, and I do this in the woods too. How many, how many spots have we seen where there was a squirrel? How many squirrels nest have you seen since we've been on this trail? How many piles of deer droppings have you seen? You can do this in nature too. And it just, it's all a way to increase people's situational awareness. So back to you, sir. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking it must've been really interesting for your kids growing up with you as their dad. (laughs) Most people I know, most people that are in my circle, they're all like that. Probably the main thing you do, Craig, is actual live training. You teach all kinds of folks and we've talked about who you train. But I want to encourage you guys, if you ever get a chance, you need to get out to Kentucky or wherever you can find Craig and do his training. Uh, the tough love you experience in this podcast from Craig is, is what you get there and a whole lot more. So I just want to encourage you guys to look up Nature Reliance. I'm just a teddy bear, man. <laughs> you, you are, but... I'm just a teddy no, bear. <laughs> you growl just now and again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> we didn't really talk about this much. And I think this really gets to the next phase of hide. We've both developed security plans. I helped develop a security plan for my church. And we, one of my objectives was to get familiar with our local agencies, our 9-11 call center people, the, the people that run emergency management in our region, and we met with those folks. And the one thing that they emphasized that stops an active shooter and keeps you safe is locking doors. That, it, that's like, I don't know if it's the number one deterrent, but, but it's huge. So whether it's your house, whether it's your vehicle and you're sitting in a, 
a parking lot, you're in a house of worship situation, lock the doors, man. Yeah, I've taught a lot of active shooter, active aggressor programs for area churches. And one the simplest way I can say it is that good active shooter training in a church is basically just good church where you've got people that are, you can call them security or whatever you want to call them greeters. I don't care what you call them, but you need to have people at the door greeting people and looking at people when they come in the door. And that person, and, and in today's world, this is one thing that, that I think a lot of people will look at as overkill. You need to have people stationed at that door while the church service is going on so they can lock that door, see somebody coming across the parking lot with a rifle or whatever it might be. And again, I don't want to, I'm not the type, man, it, it drives me crazy. I'm not the type that likes to uh, put the fear factor out there and everybody's scared to death to do anything. Statistically, you're more likely to get killed driving to the grocery store than you are to be killed in an after aggressor. Okay. I mean, statistically, really. All of us are more likely to be killed in a car accident driving to grocery than we are to be killed at church while we're worshiping. Okay. So uh, I don't want to make people afraid, but that doesn't mean I don't want people to be prepared. I want people to be prepared. And, and this is just a simple way of, hey, just running a good church or running a good business. You know, I teach a lot in local businesses too. And the person that is at the front is the first impression that somebody gets when they walk in the door. So why not make them a good greeter, which means they're paying attention when somebody's walking across the parking lot coming their way, which all goes into, Hey, they know somebody who is looks the part of an active aggressor, which we'll talk about in another podcast. But, but those are the things that, that uh, definitely are important. It's just being a good greeter. If nothing else, that's good security. We'll do a whole nother podcast on, developing a security plan and, and all that in a, in a future episode. So do you have a couple more you can add to this action list? First off, I just want to emphasize, get the medical training. You've got to get the medical training. It's called Stop the Bleed. That's the more common that's commercially available. And I don't even know if there's a if if there's a cost to it, there's not much of a cost to it. There's some guys down in Texas, Lone Star Medics, they're friends of mine. Uh, Skinny Medic does some programs. Uh, ITS Tactical does a lot of videos online. Uh, my organization, Nature Online School, we teach a we teach a remote first aid class, trauma medicine class. You know, a lot of schools do trauma medicine courses. So find some sort of training like that. Uh, and last but not least, a good no, it's not good. It's great book on understanding how to recognize fear and how to use it to your advantage is a book by Gavin De Becker called The Gift of Fear. And I'm assuming we can put that in the show notes, can't we, sir? Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. A link to that. Yeah, that's a good one. You all. Yeah. My friend Craig, we are we are way into this. So we were guys. What we were going to do is we were going to talk about concealed carry, uh, even the firearms that Craig and I carry. What what to do? Is it a good idea to engage an active shooter and when and how and all that sort of stuff? And that was just going to be a couple of questions we were going to ask. But honestly, there's like three or four questions, and I think that could be either a, a shorter special during the week or an, a full podcast. So what do you say we do that for another podcast? Yeah, let's do it. I don't, I like uh, one of the things we're trying to do guys is, is listen to your feedback. And one of the things we we're going to be doing in the future, as you can see, is that we're going to, to uh, make sure that we keep this primary podcast where we go in depth with the subject as as easily digestible as we can, you know, right at an hour. And then other segments, we're going to be splitting them off so that they're even more easily digestible 
And so I think that sounds good for to do that today with this one, David. So. Yeah, and specifically, you guys have been asking for that. So, yeah. you know, we want, we want to make you happy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, and everybody's been giving good feedback and encouragement. Man, the encouragement has been great, you all. This has been Everybody that's writing me and texting me and messaging me and emailing me. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you all for that. Okay, guys, so that's going to be it for today. We're going to cover active shooter stuff, more in the special on some various more specialized topics. And we're looking to get some very, very qualified guests that are going to help us look into that. Even some people that deal with these sorts of things on a daily basis. So I want to encourage you guys to get the show notes, review the action steps. I, Craig, we're not, like you said before, we could, we could go ahead and just call ourselves, call each other on the phone and have these discussions, but we're doing this for you guys. And really the best way that you can engage with this information and build out your own survival manual, I, I would almost say. Most of the show notes are anywhere from three to five pages. You can get the show notes, punch three holes in them, put them in a binder and use them for a reference guide. There's a space to add your own notes there. So I want to encourage you guys to get those at thesurvivalshow.com. And I want to encourage you guys also to go over, we've talked about the two self-defense videos. You guys really, really, really ought to see those. So Craig, take us out, my friend. All right, my friend. So subscribe to the podcast, everybody, now, like right now. (laughs) Go hit the subscribe button. Uh, I can't tell you how much that means to us, not just to make my heart feel good, but as far as continuing this podcast, which obviously we're putting a lot of effort into it and a lot of people are liking it, uh, it helps us if you subscribe. So do that for us. And when you get an opportunity to download the different podcasts, then do so because those downloads are vital to our continuing what we're doing. So do that for us. It costs nothing, you all. It costs nothing to do that. So please do that for us. And obviously, if you enjoy the podcast and and share it with everybody you know on social media, share it with your friends and go over to iTunes. If you're on iTunes and give us a five-star rating or Google Play, wherever it might be that you're listening to us, I, I I do a lot of stuff on Spotify. So just give us a five-star rating if you feel comfortable doing that. And look in the description to grab your copy of the show notes. Again, uh, David does an excellent job of those, and I'm really appreciative because that is fantastic. Uh, That's going to include all the tips and tactics, the links and everything that we discussed today, the books that we discussed today, and uh, any number of things that are going to go along with the show. And that is it, you guys. So always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.